Tiffany D. Jackson is a critically acclaimed author of young adult novels and has a background in TV and film. Growing up, she always wanted to be a writer, but that was a scary dream for a family of immigrants. She was able to convince her parents to let her do a film program instead. Midway into a successful career in film, she applied the hustle and gumption she'd learned, along with a deeper understanding of audience and pacing, and started writing novels. It wasn't easy. Tiffany credits her mentor with talking her out of quitting, and also for giving her feedback that unlocked all the success that would follow. To learn more about Tiffany, using her experiences to tell impactful stories, and why writing a quality first novel saved her career, be sure to listen to today's episode of the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. In exchange for your support on Patreon, you'll receive monthly one-on-one sessions with yours truly. I'm a certified master life coach, and I've worked with best-selling authors, award-winning filmmakers, and everything in between. Help fund the show today and get the support you need to take the next step forward on your own unique journey as a storyteller. Again, visit patreon.com forward slash Ethan Frackleton. All right. Enough with that. On to today's show. Well, Tiffany D. Jackson, welcome to the Fearless Storyteller podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. And my thing is I, I like to let my guests introduce themselves, you know, so, you know, let people know what you want to share about yourself. Oh, wow. Uh Actually, I should be able to do this, right? Because I do this a lot. <laughs> but I still always get very nervous. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's always, well, anyway. Um, so my name is uh, Tiffany D. Jackson. I'm an author of several young adult novels, including uh, Allegedly, Monday's Not Coming, hmm. Grown, and uh, Let Me Hear a Rhyme. Um, before I became a full-time author, which only happened about maybe four years ago at this point, Mm. um, I used to work in television for about, uh, 15 years. So Mm. that's why I feel like it's still strange for me to introduce myself like as an author when, you know, I was sort of always behind the scenes, I guess. Yeah. And well, we're still kind of behind, I suppose, the pages, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We're letting our imagination be the actors. Well, so you've been you've been involved in some way or another than with stories professionally for twenty years. And- uh, yes, actually, I've been sort of in the storytelling field since high school. Um, mm. You know, you had like those high school programs. I had I was in like a film program um, since my sophomore year of high school. So okay. I've been just sort of like. Yeah, I've always been into stories um, from 
you know, a child even, honestly, I was Mm. always, I always wanted to be a writer. It just, um, it was a little scary. It was a scary dream for the rest of my family. Oh, really? Like you'd get reactions when you'd share you wanted to be a writer? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Especially, you know, kind of coming from a family who, you know, um, either they were uh, immigrated from this country Mm. or, you know, just the, you know, nature of everything that happens and just striving and surviving. Um, You know, the thought of being an author, you know, which has that connotation of, you know, being a starving artist. Mm -hmm. uh, Because you never know if that person is actually going to succeed or not is quite frightening and um you know so honestly i understand their trepidations um Mm. even now i understand um what they were kind of thinking back then and i think um that's the beauty of um you know the industry right now all industries right now is that there's so many doors that are opening that um we all are able to sit at the table and eat yeah yeah so that wasn't true when you were a kid, or at least that wasn't perceived as true as true when you were oh, a no. child. Oh no, yeah, no, no. So what was it that drew you? Drew you to that to that dream? Um <laughs> it was a dream that wouldn't let go of me. Hmm. Like, you know, it's a dream that you've always had and it sort of like kind of has you at the throat. Um and you know, you can ignore it. You can kind of go about your business and stuff like that. But every now and then, like something will sort of like creep in the back of your mind and, or a character will pop up and, you know, it just becomes something that you can't avoid. Mm. Uh, and so when dreams are that intense, you have to answer them. You have to actually, um, at least try to answer them or it will never, you will never feel at peace. Mm. Mm. So this film program, opens up were you aware of it for before you signed up for it is it just something that like sounded like fun someone actually uh suggested it to my mother Mm. um who signed me up and i was able to do it uh for about two summers before i graduated high school and um it was one of those things because it was something that was, you know, a passion of mine. And, you know, even convincing my parents to let me go to film school was, you know, also a feat in itself. Mm. But at least that something was a bit more um, tangible, you know, like film, you know, you can go so many different avenues versus being an author is very much a, it's one road. Yeah. Um, you can have several genres, but there's one road uh, in publishing. Right, right. <laughs> so um, I think that's where I kind of, you know, I always had the bug. I, I, I tell students this because I go and talk to uh, kids about, you know, the journey to get to where I am today. Mm. Um, I always say that, you know, the, the one thing that actually inspired me to really go after it, like I like knew I was going to be in film because up until maybe my sophomore year, I was like, well, I guess I'll just be a nurse, you know, mm. I, was just, I couldn't think of anything else I wanted to do. Yeah. And then I saw the movie Titanic uh-huh. and it was such an elaborate beautiful production like from just like the set to everything and that I was like I want to be in film like immediately as soon as I left the theater I was like yes Mm. I want to be in Mm. film so that was a you know, it's one, it's one of the kind of the cool things about art right is that you know you never know what's actually going to you know light a fire under you yeah yeah 
Isn't it interesting how much pressure we feel to solve our entire lives when we're in high school? Right? Which, <laughs> you know, honestly, I almost get because college just really flies by and yeah. it's it's you want to soak in every moment of that independence that you never really truly had up until you know your freshman yeah. year of college yeah. but at the same time you're also supposed to like figure out like what you want to do with your life yeah. and it's such a rush at that point um so in a way, yeah, I understand it. Um, but one of the great things about, you know, college in itself is that even though you could graduate with one degree, you can find yourself doing a completely different things. Yeah. Or you you find yourself not graduating a degree, but you meet the right people that turns into um, organizations or websites or films. There's so many uh, CEOs that didn't graduate college mm -hmm. so i always kind of say like college is really um what you should be focused on is networking mm. like whether it be and mostly it's networking across because the people that are sitting next to you are going to be the people who are going to be out in the field with you and so i always tell you know young filmmakers you know mm. you know kind of join arms and you know get out there and produce films all together like you know um collab and bring all your resources together that's how you get noticed yeah. um because of that hustle type of spirit and i definitely feel like i was instilled a lot of those values um i went to howard university mm. which is in washington dc mm -hmm. and yeah from a very uh you know from jump they basically said like fake it until you make it and <laughs> that's that good has, advice <laughs> yeah <laughs> that has definitely been um number one of how we made so many films and so many projects happen yeah well so howard university that's a big deal right um <laughs> yeah like was it easy getting in or is like that a process where you felt like you were staking everything on the chance of getting in um, you know, that's another kind of funny story. Uh, Howard was actually my fourth choice school. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Yeah, I didn't really know about school. And Howard, for those listening, Howard University is a historical black college. Um, and I didn't know about those. Um, there was mm -hmm. no one in my family who went to an HBCUs. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like, or, and I was really the first in my family to really graduate from a four-year college. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was no one like within my vicinity um, that was able to like kind of teach me about this school. I happened to find it in one of those, remember those books that we used to get that had all the colleges mm -hmm. that would say like, you know, the percentage of people. And I saw that this college was like 90% black and I yeah. was going to a predominantly white high school. And I was like, I want to go here. But, <laughs> but yeah. my, but it was my fourth choice school because I was applying to all these really intensive film programs, um, yeah. UCLA and NYU and Miami, um, college, which actually has a really great, uh, film program. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get into UCLA. I got into NYU and it just seemed so ridiculous to spend so much money to go like down the street um <laughs> and then i got wait and i got waitlisted for the university of miami and i was so insulted <laughs> yeah uh, for some reason and um so finally i was like well you know let's check out this howard school and i went and you know i fell in love with it it was mm. very much like it felt like i was 
in a hug immediately. Yeah. The moment I like, you know, did, um, did a mm. school visit there. And I think I really needed that. I think mm. sometimes in the midst of like kind of going to schools that, you know, look great on your resume for whatever reason, like whether it's an Ivy league or, you know, a major football school or whatever the case is, uh, there is something about a school that really nurtures you and, mm. you know, constantly feel like you're in a family. Um, so even though like, it's been like umpteen years since I've graduated, um, I could still go anywhere in the world and say, I went to Howard university and then nine times out of 10, I will find someone else that went yeah. there and immediately we're cousins. So yeah. I think that is just as, like I keep saying, it's all about networking. There have been so many opportunities that have been, that I've been presented with just simply because I went to the school. Yeah. Well, that's powerful. Yeah. And that sense of belonging too. Yeah, um, right. Well, I, I notice, you know, uh, sort of jumping around a bit, but it seems like a good time. <laughs> yeah. Because I was going to ask it, one of your stories, at least one, um, right, grown, the protagonist is is a person of color in a most predominantly white high school, right? And I was right. curious then if that was, you know, written from your personal experience and, and what that means to you, like what that brings up in terms of well, story or life and yeah, you know, how it just impacts your, the kinds of stories you want to tell. Well, um, grown definitely came, um, a lot from my own experiences. Um, grown is about a, uh, young woman who was who was an aspiring artist who was basically swooned by a legendary yet older R&B superstar with promises of fame mm. and um it was it's basically about an age inappropriate relationship and how grooming happens mm -hmm. and um the adultification of black girls especially in these type of environments whether it be the um, music industry or um, predominantly white high schools yeah. and um, so I definitely filtered a lot of my own experiences I'm nowhere uh, a singer <laughs> mm. at all um, but um, I uh, myself I actually was in an age inappropriate relationship mm. and mm. I also was in a predominantly white high school. Yeah. So um, this was the one book that I actually feel like I was able to apply some more of my own emotions yeah. to the story. Uh, and I think it's also important because, um, you know, especially in today's climate where, you know, we don't, we don't really take the time to sort of pay attention to the ideas of like what a girl uh, specifically a black girl, what her experiences can be like in uh, predominantly white high school and yeah. how, you know, like we said earlier, like you're trying to figure out your life, but you're also, mm. you know, you're also trying to war, you know, kind of like feed off racist teachers or mm. racist classmates mm. all in the midst of that. Um, so there's a lot of pressure and intensity around that time. And it's unfortunate that, you know, there are many girls out there who are experiencing that mm. also, but on top of that, experiencing racism on an everyday basis. Yeah. And there's no kind of easy solution. Like, you know, some parents don't have like the money to just up and leave because you don't like, you know, the classmate that you're in your history classmate or whatever the case is. Yeah. So it really is. Um, I, I hope more stories like this happen um, 
in terms of kind of bringing attention to that. Yeah. So for you personally, why now for this story, like you're 20 years into a creative career, right? Why, why was now the right time to put that book out? Um, I really got the inspiration from, uh, the surviving R. Kelly documentary aired about, um, almost two years ago now. And I, at the time I didn't watch it cause I was, um, I think I was touring around that time, but, um, mm. what I did watch was the response to the documentary mm. and I was watching all of these adults put the blame solely on the girls mm. and saying like, they knew what they were doing and, you know, why didn't they just leave and et cetera. And there was a lot of victim blaming. And I yeah. thought like, you know, especially as someone who has, who has been through that type of situation, I know it's not that easy to leave. And I know that at the end of the day, no matter like there's two people in the room, there's an adult and a child and an adult knows better. So why aren't we looking? at the adults Mm -hmm. um so i really wanted to specifically write a novel that is tailored to kids because at the end of the day um, a lot of information is sort of filtered down uh through and to kids and i um from adults who you know quite frankly have incorrect opinions or information Mm -hmm. Um, so i wanted to sort of like lay out the lay out the land and show kids how grooming happens, how like these type of situations happened and how it may feel impossible to leave. Um, so that way, you know, kids can kind of have um, slightly more empathy for these girls. So I thought that this was like kind of the best time, especially with, you know, so many other, and you know, that was just the R Kelly um documentary but there were so many there's weinstein cosby um, it was so many that i felt like we needed something to ground kids with yeah so you must have been pretty fired up (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) are you are you always that fired up like is it that, that place of emotion or intent that that leads to book proposal are you doing a project Absolutely. I feel like a lot of my books come from, you know, they come from the idea that there's so much silence around black girls Mm -hmm. and what they go through, whether it be in group homes or, you know, missing black teens or, you know, um, girls who are being sexually assaulted. Um, But it's always seems to be like the girls are like black children seem to be silenced Mm -hmm. and, as someone who was at one point a black girl, mm. I wanted to sort of shine a light on some of the issues that, you know, still happen to this day. At the, I mean, at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not like everybody is going to read the book. Right. But we might wish that they did. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Was that scary? Like to put your own experiences into that story? Um. Yes, <laughs> quite frankly, yes, it very was. It it was, it was scary. Um, mostly because it, you know it also involved me kind of coming out to my family um, mm. who didn't know about any of this. Mm. Um, but I thought it was important um, to come out, especially to show specifically for girls who may be in the middle of something like that, the similar situation that you know you are not defined by your mistakes. Um, whatever mistakes those may be. Um, 
you can go on and have, you know, a thriving career, um, go to college, make a bunch of friends and also be an author. Um, so I think it's important for us to show that, Hey, you know, adults are not, you know, adults are not perfect. We also, we have all made mistakes. We have all at some point lied to our parents about something, whether it be something large, like, you know, having a whole boyfriend or, you know, stealing a cookie when you weren't supposed to. It's just, I think it's important for us to to kind of show kids that, you know, we are not perfect and that's okay. And it's not, and to kind of alleviate some of the pressure that we are putting on them to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we may not be defined by our mistakes, but in some sense we're bettered or have the, a richer experience because of them. Right. Right. Exactly. Like you wouldn't have been able to write this book if you didn't have your experiences. Exactly. Yeah. Or maybe you would have, but it wouldn't have been as true. It would have. Yeah. It would have been, I don't know if, if I didn't have this experience, I don't know if I would have stepped into this arena. Um, because it's, it's, it's a very intense, painful kind of arena that, you know, mm-hmm. needs to be handled with, with care. And sometimes people who have the best intentions, who are writing, you know, stories that they have zero experience with, always miss something. Yeah. And so I think it's important to, you know, kind of have, to have that experience. So the, that raises a question about own voices and that idea. So if there's a void in the marketplace, right? And Mm -hmm. nobody's writing about a topic. Is it better to have somebody enter into it and break that open as an own voices story? Or, you know, is it good enough that like somebody's trying to speak to the experience? Um, This is such a tricky topic because I guess, um, and, you know, like I said, I haven't been in this in this industry long. Mm. So I'm always sort of um, looking back at, you know, historically what has happened. Um, Mm. And what I've noticed is when there is a lull, let's say, or a void, um, it's not because no one stepped up to write that story. That that person was probably silenced or probably wasn't picked out of the slush pile Mm -hmm. or probably was told that their story wasn't good enough. Mm. So I think we sort of need to reframe um, this thought about own voices, because there is someone who can write that story. You're, it's just a question of, are people really looking for that person? Mm. Yeah. I, I, like, I have never worked on the, on the other side, right. As a publisher, but mm-hmm. you know, if I'm looking at and thinking about quality, right. And depth mm-hmm. and impact, then how could I not help, but gravitate towards stories that have truth right 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 and personal truth i know there's other reasons for publishing books (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah there is something to be said about the idea of i mean and granted most of my books are loosely inspired by real stories so and i you know i can even speak to the thought of like hey like i you know especially for like my first book um allegedly that had to deal with girls in group homes and in the juvenile justice system. And I've never been arrested. I've never been in a group home, Mm -hmm. but I'm also a black girl. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there's a lot more of that. Like I can actually understand the language and the pain and the hurt um, 
yeah. more than maybe someone else could. So uh, there is a lot of research that uh, that I, I did a lot of research to make that book possible and mm. included like, you know, speaking actually to girls who were in uh, the juvenile system um, and also speaking to psychologists, lawyers, doctors, you name it. I, I spoke to everybody. Um, but, you know, the, the, that's something about like taking the care and having what's the word? Um, integrity, integrity mm. in your work, mm-hmm. which a lot of times when people aren't writing, you know, own voices, you know, the research is really based on like Wikipedia searches mm. and you can tell, or like, you know, if they, they kind of did a Google translate for, uh, for a person that, you know, for a Spanish speaking person, like there's, there's laziness that's involved in that sometimes. And, yeah. I think that some people have gotten away with it because of the industry and because of like, you know, sort of, you know, lack lack of thoroughness. Um, Mm. And now people are really sort of crossing their T's and dying their eyes and making sure, I mean, granted things still slip through the cracks. Um, But I do think that it's, I think it is important for us to sort of make an effort you know, I don't think anyone ever really made an effort um, in the past. Um, the fact that there's still like, you know, I think maybe it's like what six percent of books that are by that are books that feature a black character are written by people who are black. Mm-hmm. Um, that's crazy. Is, yeah. Yes, I I think that's like it's kind of like you're looking at that and, you're, and I don't know if I would be on the other side, I'd be like, you know, maybe maybe we should. Maybe we should publish more black books. I don't uh-huh. know. I just, I feel like, I don't know. So I think it's a, it opens up a lot of, I think writing, I think the ideas of own voices or the the conversation around own voices has turned into something that, you know, it feels like people are trying to feel like, you know, people are trying to police Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I haven't been in this industry long, but I can tell that it's, it's not even about policing. It's about just like, you know, Hey, this is my story. Like yeah. I would, I would like you to tell my story properly. This is who I am. Yeah. I would like you to represent me properly. Yeah. I don't think that has anything to do with policing as much as it do with like, you know, honoring, you know, my person. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that's something, you know, that's hard to, I, I understand that that may be hard to grasp, but I think, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think if you just try, like imagine if someone was telling your story and like completely screwed it up, yeah. um, how would you feel? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, I, I feel like I wish I had been given a shot to tell my story. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So why did you, so obviously writing books was a dream, right? A childhood Mm -hmm. dream, but you went into film um, for a number of years. And I'm curious what, what you learned in that process and why you kind of stepped um, away in some aspect or toward, you know, whatever your narrative is about that. Oh, um, so so yeah, I've been working in tel. I was working in television, you know, since the day I graduated college. Um, so about uh, that was about 15, 15 years. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, I feel like I learned a lot, especially about the continuity of story. Mm. Um, I learned a lot about pacing. I learned a lot about like what hooks, you know, what hooks audiences. Mm. Um, Cause that's super important. Ratings was everything in television. It still is. Um, so it's really about like, how the, how does this like, how does this grab our audience and how, how do we keep them watching? Um, I learned a lot about like the back end of the business. So from marketing to, uh, PR to web and social, I learned a lot about like, there's so many facets that go into working in a, working on a project. And I really took that sort of like hustle and gumption and applied it to working on books um, because the same thing in books it's like you have to make sure you're talking to an audience um hooking them in make sure your novel is full of is paced well um i actually most of my books still follow um a script kind of format. Um, mm. There's like three, it's, it's a three act structure. Um, I still follow the paradigm uh, where there is plot points and midpoints. Like I still sort of still do that even in book format. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand the idea of knowing that books that there's a six month window of marketing window before a book comes out. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of things that I definitely applied and uh, Trans, translated well into uh, publishing. And when people ask me, do I miss television? Absolutely. I mean, I feel like <laughs> I I knew what I was doing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I was like, I feel confident in saying I was good at my job. Mm-hmm. I understood the madness of it. Um, working with celebrities or whoever it may be. Like I understood that craziness mm-hmm. versus in publishing. I still have no clue <laughs> like what's going on at the time. Um, or I'm, I'm often surprised by something. Mm-hmm. So I think that, um, you know, give me a couple more years. Maybe I'll, you know, get a hold on something, um, get a hold on, you know, this industry. But for now, I still feel like I'm still learning, which is biting and terrifying. Hmm. What's, what's, is there something that comes to mind, something that surprised you about the book industry or, you know, it's come up that has surprised you? Uh, let's see. Um, so the idea of like, you know, um, your kind of like your book scan number, which, you know, for, I'm sure people understand the idea of like, you know, how many books you're selling mm-hmm. and how that kind of like applies to, you know, what maybe you may be offered later on for mm-hmm. another book. Mm-hmm. Um, in the television world, that's kind of called the P&L statement, the profit and loss statement. Mm-hmm. Like, is this show bringing enough money for us to renew it again? And same thing in publishing. Is this girl selling enough books for us to renew or buy another book from her? Mm-hmm. And that was something that was a little surprising to me, especially when you see people who aren't maybe selling a lot of books and get contracts that are way higher than me. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's uh, there's so much confusion with that. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, why did why did this person get more marketing dollars than I did? And yeah. or why did this person like you know what I mean? Like there's there's a lot of like unanswered questions in publishing that I still kind of 
you know, don't know. Um, this past year I learned, um, which I didn't know that large print books are actually like, there's a whole publisher for that. I thought mm. books are large print books, like, especially for, um, uh, I, cause I, I used to see a lot of large print books in my grandparents' nursing homes. Um, I didn't realize, I thought books were always printed large. I didn't know that you actually had like a special contract to, you know, to have your print, your book printed large. So, um, so that was something very fascinating for me to learn at the, what was that? This is my fourth book. So yeah, there's definitely been, um, some learning every year. Mm -hmm. I feel like mm -hmm. I learned something new. <laughs> well, and it's, it's, it's an accomplishment to, to be at four books in, right? That means you have been getting renewed or new projects picked up, right? Like you got yes. over that first hurdle. What was, what was that like going into the first book? And then, you know, maybe that period of not knowing what was going to happen next, if anything. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of not knowing in the first book. Uh, there was so much that I didn't realize I was going to have to do myself, mm. um, from making my own, uh, well, let's see, Instagram badges, um, to buy my own swag to give away to readers. Mm. Um, there was so much I didn't know, uh, like, you know, kind of knowing what to put on your website, um, knowing, that you should how to put an event together at the bookstore, knowing who even booksellers are and why they're so important and why it's so important to actually talk to them. Yeah. Um, also librarians, how powerfully, like how they're like powerful allies that don't get enough credit. Hmm. So I think that there was a lot that I had to, it was like a crash course. Um, and there was so much like, you know, anxiety moving up to the day that you publish and then right after you publish like that's it it just it just goes quiet for a little bit yeah. um especially like my books didn't get a lot of like buzz in the beginning um mm -hmm. so there was definitely some silence and i will say that um and i, and I always say this is that my like my book actually alone saved itself like the actual quality of the book saved my career um, because if people weren't still talking about the book, even to today, um, no one would have known who I was. So I always tell people like, you know, don't worry about having like, you know, a flashy, like, don't be, don't worry. Don't, don't be worried about being like a flash in the pan, as they say, mm -hmm. like worry about your book, worry about what you can control because quality mm -hmm. is king. Mm -hmm. And if your book isn't good, like, you know, why should anyone buy something from you again? Yeah. Um, so I think that that was, it's about writing really good books, really good stories that really make people start paying attention to you. Like be so good. You, you can't be ignored. And that's pretty much what happened. So it sounds like, you know, again, not putting words in your mouth, but it sounds like maybe you had some unmet expectations with the launch of the first book in terms of how it did. Um, yeah, because I and I guess because maybe I didn't know what expectations to have, mm. and then later on, you know, especially like four books in, I then start to like notice. I'm like, wait, that didn't happen in my first book, like, <laughs> mm. um, or I didn't get this, or I didn't get that. Um, which you know, it's it, not every book is going to get the red carpet treatment. Mm. Um. 
<laughs> which I think that's all fair in love and war, honestly. Like if every book got the red carpet treatment, um, there wouldn't be enough books. There wouldn't be enough money to buy books. Yeah. And sometimes it's it's it really is about, you know, knowing that your front list is going to sell your back list. Mm. So the more, most important thing you can do is to keep on writing. Um, so there was a lot of things that, yeah, that didn't happen. But if I like kind of got stuck in that mode of like disappointment, like in the very beginning, mm. I wouldn't have a career mm. and I don't want to be, and I always say like, you know, you don't want to be like a person who wrote a book. You want to be an author. Mm. Was your first book that got published your first book you wrote? Um, no, uh, it was, I wrote a couple of books before then. I think talk about like four or four, maybe mm. four, maybe four by the time I got to allegedly, mm. um, which I think is important, um, yeah. right? Because I think it's sort of like training. It's like being in sports or being like an Olympic athlete. You write each book, you get better as you go along. And so I think that's, you know, I, I don't really get sad about the idea of like, oh, this book didn't get traditionally published or, oh, you know, this book is still in my drawer. Like, I feel like that, like no, no book is wasted. Were you... With each book that you were writing from the first one, were you like immediately going and pitching those or getting feedback? Um, in the beginning, yes, I did. And that's what I mean by like in terms of like this industry has definitely changed because, you know, there were books that I pitched that they said, no, no one would want to buy this. And then later on, I see those same books being written by somebody else mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. or very similar topics. So I'm yeah. like, Oh, okay. Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> timing, huh? Right. Yeah. And so when you were writing your very first book, like were you in the mindset, like, like, or I guess it was a better question. Did you have some sense of how this was going to work or were you feel kind of naive and feeling that, you know, everything was your future rest on that first book you wrote? Um, like the first, first book or like yeah, the first that's yeah. been published? Yeah, no, the first, first, because you know, oh, that's, that's man. that time. Like a lot of us spend a lot of time just figuring it out right at the, the beginning expectations yeah. drive good and bad behaviors, right? Right. I think that first book taught me how to finish something. Because mm. I think that's one of the things that we we lose sight of is that, mm-hmm. you know, we all, like, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, like, oh, I always wanted to write a novel or, oh, you, you know, there's a story you should write for me. Like, no, write it yourself. But then mm. when people sit down, the idea of like putting all these words on the page and it makes sense and, you know, is grammatically correct. Like immediately people start giving up. And so writing, like finishing a book, like actually like finishing a book, right? Like having a book that's like 55,000 words minimum, like that takes some gumption that takes some resilience. And so I think that's important for us to, it's, it's a, it's a marathon. 
and some people drop out of the marathon. Yeah, and so I, I think, think they feel like a, a failure, right? If they right. aren't an overnight success. Right? right. So I think it's important for us to not lose sight of that. Um, cause there are a lot of overnight success, you know, stories, stories but yeah. yeah, but we don't hear from them ever again. Yeah. Mm. And is that because quality is king or 100% mm. because sometimes when you, when you do kind of become like, like, like I mentioned before, like a flash in a pan, when you do come out the gate and you know, you you get all the bells and whistles and the red carpet and everything mm-hmm. like that for this one book that you wrote and you try to repeat that magic and you can't, mm-hmm. it is incredibly depressing mm-hmm. to know, to notice the difference mm-hmm. of how you were treated. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I personally, I prefer to kind of like slowly grow yeah. um, rather than be, so I, I prefer the long tail. Um, or, or how I kind of describe it because I'm, I'm able to sort of see that progression and see, you know, especially when it comes to sales or book deals or how marketing is going and stuff like that. I can look back and say like, okay, these are the things that work. They will continue to work. I'm four books in or five books and six books. Mm-hmm. in. like, I know that these things will actually work versus if I was to do all of that in the, in the, in the front, I'm, I wouldn't know how to carry myself for the rest of it. Yeah. For the rest of my career. Yeah. Have you had mentors along the way that have been important? Um, huge mentor for me was, uh, or is, <laughs> Tahari Jones, mm-hmm. uh, who wrote the book uh, American Marriage. And, uh, and one of my favorite books, Silver Sparrow. And she told me when I was um, in the middle of writing, allegedly, my first novel that was published, um, you know, I was getting frustrated because I was still getting like rejected by queer letters, kept getting rejected. Mm-hmm. And at some point, maybe like my 20th, you know, rejection, I finally emailed her and I was like, yeah, so I'm not going to be author anymore. I quit. Mm-hmm. And she, was, <laughs> she, <laughs> she emailed me back. She was like, uh, call me. And so I called her and I was like, oh, this is so terrible, blah, blah, blah. And, and she was like, well, tell me what your book about is about again. And, you know, I, I spilled it out. And she was like, well, it sounds like your book is a young adult novel. And I was mm. like, what's that? Mm. That entire time I had been pitching my book as an adult contemporary. Uh-huh. Yeah, and when yeah. I when I went back, when I revised it and started pitching it, uh, querying it as a young adult, I had way more offers. I I had four offers like within mm. like the two month span. Wow. So there is, I will say that's a hard, without her, I probably wouldn't still be here because <laughs> I was ready to quit. Yeah. Um, and she always sort of like, she, she definitely tells me, um, she tells it like it is. And I love her honesty and that, that has definitely helped me along the way. So I think that she's one of the greatest sort of mentors to have um, mm. in this space. Do you remember how you like met or became acquainted with Tahari? Um, it may have been Twitter. <laughs> mm. And um, she was also living in Brooklyn at the time. She's um she so we we you know see each other at different like literary events or you know we hang out and stuff like that and then she knew I wanted to be a writer and um 
she would ask me what I was working on and, you know, it would always be some of those books that, you know, never saw the light of day. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she was one of those people who, you know, kind of checked on me, you know, every now and then just to make sure I was like, you know, are you writing? And I'm like, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's an interesting question. So you must've been busy with life and right. Your, your career in film and, you know, you had this, dream future thing but like like how did like at what point did you decide to make space for that um i think maybe it kind of goes back to what i was saying about like you know dreams right where Mm -hmm. it sort of holds you that you know won't let go you can't sleep you can't rest so you find ways to make time for it. So what I did, which, you know, at the time I still was working in television and some days I was doing like 17 hour days, but mm-hmm. I always tried to fit in time. Um, so I typically woke up at like five o'clock in the morning. So I was a morning writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote until I had to get ready for work and then left for work, um, would, would edit on the train. I would write during lunchtime. Um, I was writing in between takes. Um, a lot of my, a lot of my books, uh, you know, a good portion of it was written on my phone. A lot of people think that I'm always like on my phone, kind of like scrolling through Instagram or something like that. No, I'm in my notepad. Like I'm, I've, you know, I think the novel I'm working on now about 15,000 words was in my notepad. Um, so yeah, you find the time you make sacrifices. Um, if this is something you really, truly want, um, which I definitely did. And so that's kind of where it it came from. Um, and you know, there was birthday parties I missed, uh, Mm -hmm. concerts I missed weekends that I was like stuck at my desk. Um, (laughs) Money I spent to go to like conferences and whatnot, you know, dog went without food some days, but you know, like I, I, I kept at it basically. And I I made, you you anticipated my question there too. It was like, (laughs) but it sounds like you just kind of like were clear about your decision-making. It wasn't really a debate what you were going to give up. It honestly, it. it was honestly the, the one thing I've been a hundred percent sure about in my life. Wow. Like every, everything else I, I'm, you know, even now I, I still like, I'm like, Oh, what do I want to eat? Mm. Should I buy this dress or not? And, you know, should I go here or not? You know, should I take the vaccine or not? Like, you know, there's been mm. so many kind of like questions. I still like, you know, I, I indecisions, yeah. but I I knew I wanted to tell this story. I knew I wanted to publish a book. And honestly, this has gone way surpass my dreams, quite frankly, because I, mm. you know, I would have, if it was just one book, I would have been happy. Mm. Mm. If, I, if I had just made it to that, like, you know, what does Rocky say? Like, if I just go the distance? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he got to the 15th round and that's what he does, yes. right? Yes, like yeah. I felt like I was, you know, very beaten at the at that point. Mm-hmm. And so by the time you do like get there and when you cross like the finish line, it's like I did it. Mm. Like well, I did well, that, it. And that raises an interesting question that I've thought a lot about in the past is um, 
once you've finished the dream, it's like almost like an event and then it's over with, right? So like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> then what? How does the idea of success change from the first time, like you achieved a dream, now you're exceeding the dream. So what is success now? I think success is continuing to write novels that you're still passionate about. That's still sort of like, you know, oh, I want to get up early and write this, like, and, you know, work on this draft. I think that's success is when you're actually happy and at peace with what you're doing. You know, not every day is going to be roses, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm definitely one of those people who, you know, have to do things I don't really want to, like maybe update my website or, you know, revise an old story that I don't really like anymore. Um, we all have those moments. Um, but I think there's something still very magical about being able to do like to be able to work in this field in any capacity, um, is magic in itself. Cause there's Mm. so many people, millions of people who want to be in your shoes. And so I think kind of staying in a place of gratitude and staying in a place of just like still being in awe Mm. of what you're doing. I think that's, you know, one of the most, the key to success, Mm. uh, really. Um, and you know, you may, and I may get tired of this. I may say like, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, but at least feel like I lived a life that, was worthy of, of living. Like I, I lived a life that I lived a very full life. If I was to stop writing at any Mm. point, I still feel like I would have lived a huge, big life, living big. (laughs) Just because you stopped writing books may not mean that you've stopped living with purpose, right? Contributing value and and those. So if you weren't writing books what, and you were still wanting to be at peace with your choices and, and right. And living a life worthy of living and full, what would you be doing? Man, I get this question a lot and I really, I always land on this very random answer, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I would, um, I would own a tea shop. Ooh. Like, I always say like, you know, but it would be a very, like, I'd be kind of like a recluse, like yeah. li- living uh, <laughs> where no one would find me and, you know, just having a very quiet life and just having a tea shop uh, where we serve like, you know, different teas and sandwiches and good desserts. Like I just have a, a very quiet life, um, which, you know, in comparison, you know, um, Writing could be, uh, or that's the one thing that they didn't tell you. You know, I, I think when I was younger and thought I was going to be an author, I was, I truly thought I was going to be the old woman by the sea. Like I thought like, you know, I wouldn't have to deal with anybody. Um, but that's not the case. Like I have to talk to kids, adults every single day almost. And especially when, when it wasn't COVID time, I was touring a lot too. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of interaction with people. Um, and I, I both love it and both like, it's also exhausting at the same time. Um, so I think the, like that's, so that when people ask me like what I want to do, I'm like, yeah, I want I want to live a quiet life. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose you could have both. Yeah, and yeah. not at the same time always. 
You know, right. so you know how I asked you to introduce yourself, right? Uh-huh. I, I've been doing that ever since I talked to um, an author named, a screenwriter named Terry Tatchell. And uh-huh. she's best known for being a writer on District 9, the movie. Oh, yeah. And so everybody wants to talk to her about that, right? And new fans of her. But I asked her to introduce herself, and we had an entirely different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> because it turns out her dream wasn't being an Oscar-nominated screenwriter and these other things. It was writing kids' books and having a tea shop. And that's what it she's does. doing. Yeah. And that's she, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I learned my lesson that day. Like, you know, <laughs> we have our narrative about who you are, Tiffany, but you've got your own narrative about your life and oh. what's important. And so what's ahead for you the year ahead? Oh, um, so, uh, so I had a, a book come out um actually last month um with i co-wrote a book with a yalsa shabazz that's malcolm x's daughter um Mm -hmm. we wrote a book called um the awakening of malcolm x which basically tells the story during um his prison sentence Mm -hmm. um so that was first of the 2021 um i have a co-author book with um several authors called blackout which is a story of um well it's interlinked stories celebrating black love that comes out in june um i have my first um horror novel coming out in september called the uh, white smoke mm. and uh so which i love horror so this is gonna be amazing it's a haunted house (laughs) kind of like story um and then switching gears i have a picture book uh coming out in october uh and it's uh santa in the city and i kind of call it my memoir because it's basically about a girl who lives in a city and her mother you know convinces her that santa still um santa's able to come even to kids in the city Mm, wow, you're kind of all over the place this year. Yeah, it seems like it, right? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a good thing. And you yeah, get to, it's... yeah. I guess the screen, like just working in film, would have prepared you for collaborating and, and co writing. Because I know that's yeah. something that authors can get hung up on, right? Yeah, we, we had um, Donald Clayton was sort of the captain of the ship. Hmm. Um, it's Donald Clayton, Nick Stone, Angie Thomas. Nicola Yoon and uh, Ashley Woodfolk. And, um, you know, it's, it was kind of cool writing this uh, sort of love story that takes place during a New York City blackout um, with all of these amazing authors uh, who are all like my girls. And so mm. it was fun to sort of do this while we're all stuck inside during the quarantine. So yeah. it it it, um, it took our minds off of, you know, things. Um Lots of things, <laughs> yes. but um, yeah, I think it was um, it definitely had its challenges, of course, because we're not all in the same place. But I feel like it was um, such a such a it came together so beautifully that mm. you know I'm in awe of it. Mm. Mm. Well, for people who want to know more about you, um, how can they find you? Um, you could look at more about me on my website um, at Write and Decay. That's a W R I. T-E-I-N-B-K.com. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Um, same hashtag at write and BK, W-R-I-T-I-N-B-K. 
And um, yeah, that's that's pretty much where I hang out. <laughs> awesome. Well, Tiffany, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's been a great question too. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover the Fearless Storyteller podcast.